Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Part two of the AFC West preview of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by SeatGeek. Let SeatGeek take the confusion out of your ticket buying experience instead of shopping dozens of sites all over the web. Let SeatGeek do the work for you. Their app scans the web for the best deals to your favorite game, concert, or show and rates them on a scale from 0 to 10 to let you know if you're getting the best bang for your buck. Use promo code ACAA at checkout to receive $20 off your first purchase. That's $20 off the first purchase. So what are you waiting for? Promo code ACAA to get the deal. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. Part 2 of the AFC West preview is also brought to you by MyBookie. Summer is the best time of year. We're about to run headlong into Major League Baseball, but we'll always have MMA. Uh, There should be some golf out there. And we still have a couple of games left in the Stanley Cup Finals and the NBA Finals, although it looks like those are about to be wrapped up by St. Louis and Toronto, respectively. Hopefully I didn't just jinx them. But whether you like MLB, MMA, golf, or anything else, MyBookie is the place to bet. Their mobile site is easy to use and allows you to make bets from anywhere. No hassle, no waiting line, no need to get off the couch. MyBookie wants you to have as much fun as possible this summer, and what's more fun than winning money while watching sports? Just visit MyBookie.ag today to get started, then try your luck at outsmarting the odds makers. But wait! If you deposit with promo code BEARS100, MyBookie will give you a 50% deposit bonus. That's promo code BEARS100 for a 50% bonus. Putting down 100, now you've got 150. At MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid. And here we are, part number two of our AFC West preview. Had a great conversation with your boy Q to get the AFC West started, talking about the Oakland Raiders. Now we go to Mile High Country to talk about the Denver Broncos, and we bring back one of my very first guests ever on the podcast, uh, Lori Lattimore Volkman from the Mile High Report on SB Nation. She and I... (laughs) you guys are gonna i think you're gonna like especially the first chunk uh, of the interview we kind of got stuck in a spot because the two of us were complaining about our last coaching regimes uh she was talking about the vance joseph thing obviously we were complaining about john fox and obviously she can feel our pain uh when it comes to john fox and and the things that they did and did not do uh in his time uh in chicago and then eventually we moved on to the offseason, the draft, and, and what 2019 has to hold for the Denver Broncos. Always love talking to Lori. Look forward to having her back early on in the season. We played Denver week number two uh, this year. Uh, we had a fantastic time talking to her. But first, we'll do news and notes, so let's get the show started. It's the AFC West Preview, part number two. So let's get it. Part number two of our AFC West preview and part number four 
of our 14 uh, opponent preview episodes, uh, and here we are. What's going on, everybody? Larity back for the uh, for part two of the AFC West preview of the Bears Talk Underground. Lori Lattimore Volkman from SB Nation's uh, Mile High Report will be joining us here in a few moments. Uh, for those of you who've been with the podcast a while, uh, Lori was, I think, my second guest ever uh, on the podcast back in 2015. Uh, when I first started doing the interviews, the way that I did them originally was for our divisional opponents, which in 2015 was the AFC West and the NFC West. I was uh, I was kind of I kind of did it last minute. So I the first person that I was able to get a response from, they represented the entire the division. And in this case, it was Lori Lattimore Volkman. Uh, we talked to her about the Broncos, and we also kind of touched on the rest of of the division focusing on the Broncos did the same thing with Jess Root and the Arizona Cardinals for the NFC West and then I did one show a piece for the for the Lions the Vikings and the um, <clears throat> excuse me with the uh, Packers and um, you know it was 2016 was the year that I did an episode for every uh, team but Lori was was the second guest that we ever had uh, on the show and uh, she was able to uh, to come back and uh had a nice lengthy conversation, as I said in the uh, intro right after the ads. Uh, we kind of got hung up for the first 20 minutes or so uh, just talking about the, you know, the troubles that they had with Vance Joseph and, and where things went wrong and why it went off the rails the way they did and, and kind of how that paralleled some of the coaching nightmares that we've had. Um, not really even since Lovey left town, but I mean, obviously Mark Tressman was a nightmare, especially in year number two. Uh, John Fox just never really seemed to get his footing uh, in Chicago. Do you have his moments here? And it was just, but you know, 2016 was a disaster, three and 13. 2017 was just, you know, gross incompetence. There was nothing that felt right about 2017. It, it just happened to work out that, that Mitch and, and Tariq being drafted that year, Eddie Jackson being drafted that year, you know, there, there were signs, there, there were things there that kept us watching, uh, on Sunday but overall no one was really looking forward to it because it would be the same old same old and the frustration with the offense and so on and so forth and Lori and I get into that uh, uh, quite a bit where the the you know the, our our 2017 squad kind of mirrored what they had to go through last year in that their defense was adequate their defense did well their defense did everything they could to get the offense the football but their offense was so bad that their defense just had to go right back out there and try to do it again. That's 2017 in a nutshell right there. We had zero offense. We had no help. And, uh, you know, we, like our defense, I, talk, I talked about the Carolina game and how it was a miracle that we won that. And thanks to Eddie Jackson, we did win that game. And th those were games like that throughout the entire season. And uh, why we're happier now and uh, – why, uh, why Laurie and company are looking forward to what Vic Fangio holds uh, as he takes the mantle as a head coach for the very first time uh, with the uh, Broncos. Uh, but real quick, before we get to Laurie, a couple of news and notes for you guys here. Uh, we'll start off with, our, with the kickers, and apparently the Bears are taking a different tact with the kickers in OTA practices uh, and such. They've incorporated something, a little something called the Augusta Silence. When it comes to the kickers, I mean, I, I guess that, you know, the only thing that can well, it, here's the thing about being uh, a, an athlete uh, performing in a pressure situation is that usually when you're in a situation like that, 
the crowds are probably at a deafening uh, pitch. You know, you, you can hear them, but it, it all kind of blends together in a way that you can kind of zone it out. You, because there's so much noise, you can't particularly hear one thing. So what Matt Nagy and company are doing in OTA practice or what they have been doing is Augusta silence. And I guess Augusta would be a reference to the golf course, therefore complete silence. And the only thing that can make you nervous than all of that noise, knowing that all of those people are watching is all of those people not making a sound. You can even hear yourself breathing kind of thing. And just imagine how nerve wracking that must be. A The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use indeed the better it gets and listeners of this show will get a 75 dollars sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com match just go to indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. To be in the situation that you're in as a Bears kicker, trying to win the job uh, with against two other guys uh, right now, because we currently have three kickers vying for the position. And um, apparently this is something that's, uh, that's working as far as uh, putting the kickers in a pressure situation without actually having to apply pressure. You know what I mean? So that's something that the Bears are, are incorporating with our three kickers uh, right now. Uh, it's Chris Blewett, or Blue A, or however it's pronounced, uh, Eddie Pinheiro, and uh, Elliot. Uh, Elliot Fry or something like that? One of the, the kicker from the AAF. Uh, those are three, the three kickers that are giving it a shot uh, right now. Uh, secondly, it's, uh, it's not Bears news, but it's something that could greatly affect us in the next couple of years. And here's the thing. It's something that could affect us in the next couple of years if things go well. And uh, what I'm referring to is the extension that Carson Wentz got yesterday uh, from the, um, from the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Carson Wentz signed a four-year contract extension worth $32 million a season. It's $128 million over four years uh, to extend at the end of his rookie contract, which I believe is this year or next year. And it's going to keep him in Philly till I think like 2024 uh, or something like that. Um, so it's like this is his fourth season. They're going to obviously they're going to pick up his fifth year option and then they're tacking on four more years to that. So Carson Wentz is going to be the Eagles quarterback for the next six seasons. And that contract not only was it f four extra years for twenty or for one hundred and twenty-eight million dollars, aka thirty-two million per year, it was guaranteed money of a hundred and seven million dollars. Now, if all goes well uh, in the next year or two, 
because the Bears, obviously, this is year number three for uh, for Mitch. Next year, the Bears will have to pick up the fifth-year option before season four number begins uh, for Mitch, and we're going to have to start thinking about this. But uh, $107 million, $32 million per season. Uh, he's not the highest-paid quarterback per year. I think that's still um russell wilson i think he's up to 35 million when he signed that extension with the seahawks here in the off season but um that's the most guaranteed money i think anybody's gotten 107 107 million what a bananas figure and um so i mean it's it's not bears news but it's something that could greatly affect us with carson wentz setting the market there carson wentz was the 2016 number two overall pick Mitch was the number was the 2017 was the 2017 number two overall pick. So uh, this could be something that we're talking about uh, a year from now. If this year goes well and Mitch balls out like a lot of us think he will, you know, year number two in the system. If everything that we've been hearing about how he's been performing in OTAs uh, comes to fruition when the games start to count, then this could be something that we're talking about. A year from now is how Mitch got 110 million, and we, he's going to be our quarterback till 2025 because we just he's got year number four, the fifth year option, and another extension on top of that. We've got Mitch for the next you know five six years uh, locked up. We don't have to worry about who our quarterback's going to be, and it cost us the king's ransom. So now Ryan Pace gets to figure out how he's going to be able to pay everyone and keep this team together uh, as best he possibly can. So. Uh, like I said, not Bears news, but something that definitely will greatly affect us going forward. And, and, and as I said already, if everything goes well, this is a situation that we'll find ourselves in uh, in the very near future. So um, I, 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 I honestly can see it going that way. Uh, I am optimistic about what Mitch can do, what he will do uh, this year. So uh, I, I anticipate this being a conversation we might be having a year from now that uh, Mitch is in uh, extension talks and he signed uh, for a very long time to be uh, in a bear uniform. And finally, the moment you've all been waiting for, uh, last night on Friday, the uh, Bears uh, started the weekend-long celebration, their centennial uh, celebration uh, in Chicago. And uh, the somewhat the main event of the festivities on Friday night was the unveiling of the vintage uniform that they've been talking to us about since April when they did the April Fool's joke about everyone wearing uh, three three letter three numbers for you know Mitch would be 110, Akeem Hicks would be 196, Khalil Mack would be 152, etc. And that obviously was an April Fool's joke. Well, it turns out that the uh, the leak that we saw from Dick Sporting Sporting Goods was the was the real deal that is in fact the jersey uh that the bears will be wearing in two games uh this year the first one in in week four against the uh vikings i believe it's week four it's a home game against the vikings and then uh week 13 14 whenever the thursday night game after thanksgiving is against the cowboys that those are the two times the bears will be wearing the uniform which is kind of funny, actually, because it's a white jersey. So you're, th- you're thinking it's an away uniform, but instead that is the, the, the uniform the Bears will wear at home. So I guess the, we'll be seeing the Cowboys wearing those ugly midnight blue 
uh, jerseys that they wear when uh, their opponents wear white. But, uh, um, well, what do I think? Well, I uh, am the self-professed uniform snob, and at first glance, uh, I did, like I, I told you guys before, when I saw the leak, I like the jersey. I didn't find anything wrong with it. Uh, you know, I, I, I like the stripes, um, the, the orange and blue stripes on the shoulders and on the on the armbands, uh, the regular blocky varsity numbers, just plain uh, navy blue I thought was good. It's a simple white uh, jersey with those stripes on the shoulders. Uh, the picture from the old school player back in 1936, which I believe was Bronco Nagurski that was modeling the uniform. Uh, it, it had that helmet with the orange stripes on it. At first glance, I hated it. I absolutely hated the orange stripes uh, on the helmet, and I wasn't crazy about the socks. Upon further review and multiple viewings later, I don't hate the stripes. I could get used to the stripes. It's the socks. I can't get past the socks. So we go from the helmet. Okay, I can handle the helmet. The jersey is cool. You can't go wrong with just plain or solid navy blue pants. It's it's just solid navy blue, no stripes or anything on the pants. It all ends for me at the knees because from the knees down, you got those uh, horizontal stripes with the orange and the blue. Now, here's another issue. I don't it's it it actually kind of depends on how this is going to look when the Bears get on the field because the the photo of the player in 1936 and I'm going to say it's Nagurski um the orange is what's so off-putting in the modern version of it the the orange was was much lighter and much closer to what I feel like the Bears orange is the orange that they had on the helmet last night and on the vertical, excuse me, the horizontal stripes on the socks was like a much deeper, much richer, a lot more red in in the orange. It's very striking, and, and maybe that's what I find, you know, for lack of a better term, offensive about the about the socks, especially. It's the orange is so bright; it, it, it's almost like the 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 mile long uh, orange that hunters wear, so they don't get shot in the field. You see that distinctive orange, uh, but j- just imagine a bit more. It, it, very, it looks very much like the, the orange that the Cleveland Browns wear. Like it used to be a little bit lighter, but when they came out with the new uniforms, the, the orange was much, much deeper, much richer. It had a lot more red in it than it had before. And that's what was so striking about the helmet and the socks upon first view. But going back, I can get used to the helmet. The helmet, I think, is fine. It's the socks I have a huge problem with. They are hideously bad. Uh, they are just terrible. I think if we'd have gone with our modern socks on those uniforms, I think that would look a hell of a lot better, uh, quite frankly. But um, that didn't happen, unfortunately. And the other thing that I'm kind of like, you know, kind of torn about is that when they showed like uh, like the video, it was Tariq Cohen in the uniform. When they showed like the video of them wearing the uniform, the orange was much softer. It was uh, easier on the eyes. It wasn't as bright or as striking as it appeared to be uh, in the photo and the footage of it was Kyle Fuller last night who was modeling the uniform at the celebration. And th- that orange really, I don't want to say it popped, but it really stuck out. 
It was like it was like the a deeper, much redder orange than I'm used to seeing uh, on a bear uniform. It, it really sticks out and not in a good way. So the socks are awful, no matter what tone they're in. Uh, this I think if they if they went with something closer to what's the like the C a logo on the helmet, I don't think the oranges are the same. I really don't. I think they went with a deeper color uh, in the orange, and that's what's so striking and so off-putting uh, to me. So um, the the uniform is fine from the head to the knees. Once we get down from the knees going into the socks, the socks are horrendous, and uh, I don't like it. So um, <laughs> the jersey, I like it a lot. I like the jersey a lot. Uh, the pants, like I said, can't go wrong with solid navy blue. But uh, the socks, the socks got to go, man. The socks are absolutely terrible. And I saw a poll on Twitter. Uh, the Bears posted, what's your favorite part of the uniform? 24% said socks. So 24% uh, a little uh, effed in the head, if you ask me. If they think the socks are the best thing about that uniform, oof, I have concerns about you. So uh, anyway, so there you have it. The Centennial uh, uniform. Uh, you know, and, and, uh, the 1936 team is what they're commemorating uh, there. We'll see those uniforms twice against the Vikings and the Cowboys for home games uh, this year. So the Vikings, I think, is week four at home. And the, uh, the, the Cowboys, I believe, is week 14. Is, it's when we play those back-to-back Thursday games. We play the Detroit on Thanksgiving, and then we come back the following Thursday and we play the Cowboys on Thursday Night Football at home in those uniforms so that is uh that is how that's going to go down so hopefully the socks will grow on me so i won't dread week four and week 14 uh but i don't see that happening i really don't so uh, anyway that will do it for our little news and notes section gonna go ahead and dive into this talk with uh Lori Lattimore volkman coming to us from the mile high report on uh, sb nation had a great talk with her so here it is, without further ado, myself, Lori Lattimore Volkman from the Mile High Report, previewing the 2019 Denver Broncos. Part two of our AFC West opponent preview has us heading over to Mile High Country and the Denver Broncos and 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 back for the first time in a long time one of my very first guests ever on the show from <laughs> SB Nation's Mile High Report Lori Lattimore Volkman welcome back to the show we have so missed you Thank you Larry it's great to be back So Lori the last time that we talked uh <laughs> we happened to be uh we had just hired the former head coach of the Denver Broncos, uh, John Fox, to take over. And we had a brand-new general manager, and he was doing things. And uh, it just so happens that now the next time that we talk, you have just hired the defensive coordinator of the Chicago Bears to be the head coach of the Denver Broncos. So what's up with that? Why? Why? You know, you, you steal from, we steal from you. You got to steal back from us. What's up with that? I have to say, I, I imagine even Bears fans would agree that we got the better end of that trade. Yes, you did. <laughs> do you? Rem- I do remember. Didn't I tell you my favorite ridiculous line from John Fox? Did he ever that he tended to use in all his press conferences with us? 
It was the the thing located behind the nipple. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> How many times did he use that? Uh, I know one for sure because I I brought it to your attention. I remember tweeting it to you. Yeah. On yeah. Twitter, I showed you that. Uh, oh, he said it, so he went ahead and he and he used it. The 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 thing by he he uses that thing behind the nipple. Like what? I, it's right. such a bizarre reference. Like, <laughs> come on, coach. What? Didn't didn't someone stop you the first time you tried to use that? One? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nobody in the PR department was like, coach. Let's let's not talk about nipples during press conferences. Yeah. So Everyone's confused for five minutes while you're talking about it. They're like, finally, least, like, oh, the heart. Yeah, or at least nobody, nobody hears a thing he says after. Like, he said, <laughs> he just said like, nipple, right? Yes. They're all looking around at each other. What the hell? Exactly. So, but yeah, yeah so uh, you know, you hired Vic Fangio, and and that was because the the un the two year experiment that was Vance Joseph did not work out, and. So much to the point where John uh, Elway, your general manager, like publicly uh, admitted it was a mistake or a regret of his to hire uh, Vance Joseph. You know, what, what's the story with that? Well, let me start by saying I was one of the people who when we were when we were looking for a new coach after Kubiak left, mm -hmm. um, and we, you know, a lot of people really wanted Kyle Shanahan. And on paper, and of course, you know, looking at what Shanahan had done at the Falcons and obviously previously, you know, before at the Redskins, like, you know, you knew this was an up and coming star. But I, I had a feeling that there's no way Elway will be able to work with Shanahan because Shanahan, like his father, is you know, knows exactly what he wants and he will insist on it and he will not work well with John Elway. And so I felt like, you know, Vance Joseph is going to be the kind of coach that Elway will, will work better with because he's a brand new, you know, head coach. He's a defensive coach. And so that John Elway always likes defense, ironically. And so, and he can help make, you know, suggestions or give advice on offense even though that's not really his exact role but we all know John Elway is involved with that sure but it just turned out that Vance was just way too unprepared to be for the role of head coach and I still maintain and I did and so that well let me back up and so then you know that first year was the wheels just fell off. We we won the first three games. We're all feeling great. And even Vance Joseph was like, you know, pump the brakes. All we did was win three games. And then we had a bye that year. We had an early bye. And then we lost like nine games or something. It's something ridiculous. And so um, going into the second year, most of Broncos country was calling for Vance Joseph's head. You know, <laughs> get rid of this coach. We didn't want him in the first place. Fire him now. And Elway was, you know, I think felt like he didn't give Vance Joseph the best opportunity to be a good head coach because he walked into a disaster of a quarterback situation, yeah. which yeah. became even more of a disaster than anybody could have anticipated. And that's a tough thing for a first-year head coach, especially a first-year head coach who hasn't had to deal with a quarterback scenario before. So I, I again, I, I backed Elway on his decision to keep Vance Joseph because I thought, 
you know, this is this is the year where Vance either, you know, makes it or breaks it. Like he proves this year whether he can do this or not, because we're not going to have we, we brought in Case Keenum, which that's we can talk about that later. But <laughs> at least at least we didn't have a a um, quarterback competition like who's going to be number one and, you know, go back and forth and have to figure it out week to week. And it, it was just so, it was so insane. So I think. I think Elway really thought, and, and I, 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 again, I agreed with this, that it wasn't a fair assessment of Vance Joseph's ability as head coach, given what he walked into. So this past year, giving him that second chance, I didn't think was necessarily a wrong decision or short-sighted or, you know, Elway just not wanting to admit he was wrong. I think it was, I think it was a genuine thought that, I, I need to give my coach a better situation for him to coach in. And he he basically did give him that, even though Case Keenum didn't really work out. But, oh, but what we saw throughout the season was Vance Joseph has no idea how to manage the game. And I think, in retrospect, that also meant he didn't totally understand how to manage the week, you know, in terms of practice. And I think a lot of people underestimate this, that, just because you have a great just because you have somebody who has a great defensive mind or a great offensive mind or or they're really good whatever at whatever position head coach is a whole different role there's a whole different set of skills you need to have it always helps if you really understand football right you know like having yeah, yeah. a mastermind of the game does not hurt you but you also have to balance a lot of other roles you know you are in front of the press five days a week you have to manage all the different personalities on the whole team from coaches to players to you know to different positions to from backup to the starter versus just being in charge of your unit or just being in charge of your side of the ball and when you're and so like during the week I think if Vance Joseph was getting in and trying to teach people how to you know how to do certain technique, he was really good. And he seemed, he understood sort of different strategies about different defenses or different offenses, but he could not ever put it together in the game when it's real time and you have to make a decision on what's the smart thing to do. And every single time it came down to a decision that's on the line, he made the wrong one. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Like, for, I, I'm sure you didn't pay a ton of attention to the Broncos last year in terms of actual games because who would unless you had to. But and you know you you had your own great team to follow. But Indeed. we had we had a couple situations that were just they were so ridiculous that you just you had to laugh because you're like I felt like you know, my 12 year old could go down there and coach better because the common sense thing to do would be. Hey, should we kick a 60-yard field goal into the wind four seconds before the half? No, no, we shouldn't do that. And sh you know, and then we get we would get down. He would go for field goals when we were so far away, and it didn't matter. And then we'd be on the you know fourth and one, and he wouldn't go for a touchdown. <laughs> like you gotta, I mean, fourth and goal, and you know, just so many bad decisions. Our final game of the year, we decide literally to do. An onside kick on our kickoff, on our kickoff to start the game, we did an onside kick. Wow! Like, 
I'm done. I'm done with this guy. And I had been one of his defenders just because I felt like this, he needs to prove it. And then he totally fumbled the ball. <laughs> so it, it, we say all, we all talk about it now that, you know, it, there were a few games where just one different decision probably would have been a win or, you know, likely could have been a win. Right. And so our, you know, our, we could have been eight and eight or nine and seven easily with just a few different things going our way and, you know, just making the right decision instead of a boneheaded one. But if we had done that, we might not have gotten rid of fans. Joseph, <laughs> we, we might not have had the number 10 pick in the draft. And so our, our situation right now would have been much worse had it been a little bit better back during the season. Right. It's, it's a six in one hand, half in the other, half a dozen in the yeah. other kind of situation. Absolutely. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Uh, yeah. Uh, kind of thing. You know, we we talk all the time. Uh, you know, different scenarios that the Bears could have done. If maybe if they had done this, or we'd signed this guy, or we didn't sign, we maybe make this pick, and so on and so forth. Then we probably would have been better. It's like, but. Yeah, then we'd probably still have John Fox. We yeah. wouldn't have Nagy. We wouldn't have traded for this guy, and so on and so forth. So it's like, yeah, everything happened the way that it was supposed to. So right. let's just look forward instead of looking back, and uh, you know, just keep going. It's it's fun to think about what if, but if you you know had the power to try to put all that into motion, I would tell you not to because I would rather have the future that we have now than you know go backwards and try to see if it turned out the way we would have hoped to. Uh, in in uh, in that kind of thing. Yeah, so, the only know. thing that I do hope or would have wished is, ha- I feel like our first home game against the Chiefs, we could have won that game if Case Keenum didn't overthrow Demarius Thomas, you know, two yards from the end zone, oh. which would have been a game-winning touchdown. And had we beaten the Chiefs that early, that would have given us a lot of momentum, and it probably would have deflated them a little bit. And I think. For both teams, the season might have turned out a little differently, and that because it's such a rivalry, it kills me that we couldn't do that. But I always go back to what you just said. You know, like I would trade the you know a better future for just one one win, except maybe against the Chiefs. <laughs> yeah, there's always there was there's always a game uh, yeah. in there in in twenty twenty seventeen, I believe. Yeah, twenty seventeen. Well, first eight games of the season, like when the schedule came out in 2017, uh, John Fox's last year, all we heard about was this is the first eight games for the Bears. This is the most difficult schedule in the entire league. And this football team with the rookie, uh, uh, we drafted Trubisky in the first round. We, you know, we, we, we have zero offensive talent around him except for Jordan Howard <laughs> and Tariq Cohen, and we have to go through this game. You know, there are like four or five, you know, uh, playoff teams in there. We got the Packers in there, right. and it was just a disaster. Somehow we go three and five in that first eight-game stretch. Yeah. Then we have a bye week. Then week number 10, we're at home against a Aaron Rodgers-less Green Bay Packer team, and they kicked our ass, Lori. I was I went on a 44-minute profanity-laced tirade <laughs> on my show. I could not hold it in anymore. I couldn't. I was like, I'm done. I am done. I can't do this 
anymore watching this offense over and over again while we have this defense that is balling out and has nothing to show for it because they're playing 40 minutes a game because our offense yeah. is garbage. And it's like <laughs> I, lo- I just lost it, which ironically is a lot of my listeners' like favorite episode of all time. So, yeah. you know, I just I went bananas, like 44 minutes there were none of the the regular like segments I do during the show, which is for forty minutes. I lost it. It's like I done. I done. I'm done. I cannot believe we lost this game. It was set up so perfect for us to win. We went three and five in that first stretch. We barely won two more games throughout the rest of the year, and John Fox was mercilessly finally let go at the end of the year. And you know. <laughs> We move on uh, from him. But that was this like that. This it. I'm done. I am done. How did we lose this game and uh, in, in everything? I, I was I went bananas uh, yeah. from it. So it's like I, I get I get where you're coming from. I had no idea it was that bad, though, with Vance Joseph. I know that it wasn't working out. Obviously, the, the Broncos weren't winning uh, football games. And then I guess I was kind of blinded by how badly the season was going by the 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 feel good story that was Philip Lindsay last year. Yeah, well, that, I mean, and it's it's interesting that you mentioned that because we talked about this the other day that our you know the season in 2018 was better. I mean, we had a tough schedule too, and we were you know again we didn't have a strong quarterback. So you, anytime you don't have that, you're really struggling. And I I have I have my like I have this soapbox that I go on with with people all the time on our blog about Peyton Manning during that Super Bowl year, you know, cause people are like Peyton Manning's done. He can't throw the football. You guys won with your defense. I'm like, of course we did. Absolutely. We won with the defense, but you forget what Peyton Manning still did. In the he playoffs. still, yeah, but even, even in obviously the playoffs, but even when he wasn't throwing well and he, you know, we're still winning the games in the playoffs or the beginning of that season or whatever, he, he doesn't have the zip on the ball. He doesn't have the distance anymore. He doesn't have the arm, but he still has the brain, and he still could outthink the other team to the point that he could neutralize them long enough that even we could stay on the field and get a field goal, which, you know, people overlooked that that because we weren't scoring touchdowns and, you know, blah, blah, Manning's done, get Brock Osweiler out there, blah, blah, blah. And then the next year when we have Trevor Simeon, for the next two years, actually, and we would go three and out like almost every time we, our offense got on the field. And the defense is playing 45 minutes a game. Right. And everyone's like, the defense can't do anything because they're tired. The offense can't even stay on the field. And I was like, ha-ha, I told you so. That's what Manning <laughs> did. Manning stayed on the field for 12 minutes. And sometimes he only got a field goal. Sometimes we still punted, for crying out loud. But he he allowed the defense to be amazing by doing what he was able to do just because he was still smart enough to do the things you need to do. Like, you know, he could he could throw the ball away. He could hand it off quickly. He could do like a shovel pass that nobody was planning just, just to keep the ball moving forward that nobody has been able to do since. We've had such poor quarterbacking that our, our, our defense has been exhausted. So – 2017 was just terrible. 2018, we actually were better, but because we still had no quarterback and therefore very little offense except for Philip Lindsay, yeah. it would be close in games, but we could not win. And so it was very frustrating to feel like, like I said earlier, you know, we, 
a couple of different decisions by the coach a couple times, a, a throw by Case Keenum that is not six feet over DT's head, you know, like then we win those games because we were in them unlike the year before. Right. So, but what, what was bad that you, that you wouldn't really see unless you were truly a fan paying attention during the week was just Vance Joseph always, he always came across like, you know, it's been a good practice. We're prepared. We're going in. We got a good game plan. You know, he said that a lot. Oh. And we get to the game and be like, game plan? Play? Did you plan any of this? I don't know. How do you how do you not know that you don't do a field goal from you know the sixty yard or the sixty five yards like into the wind? Like we have a great kicker, but that's ridiculous. And in in the situation where that happened. Because, of course, we missed it and there were still 30 seconds left. And I think it was the Texans. They got the ball on our 40 and they marched in and got a field goal before the half. Like, (laughs) you're such an idiot. So, you know, it was a very frustrating season to watch him make poor decision after poor decision in a game where our defense was still trying so hard to win the game. And they, you know... They held the Chiefs to under 30 points, which was the, one of the two teams to do it all year. They they played every team tough. We just had zero offense and zero coaching. Yeah, that sounds like the 2017 Bears, right? There. <laughs> it <laughs> yeah. absolutely does. I mean, we had studs on defense. I mean, there was a game we played against the Carolina Panthers. Uh, we won the game 17-3. to Our offense, uh, our quarterback, Mitch Trubisky, his rookie season, attempted seven passes in that game um we only scored touchdowns on defense thanks to two eddie jackson one was a fumble return the other wasn't a pick six for a touchdown and our defense was on the field for for like legit legitimately about 75 to 80 plays in that game it's like eventually they're going to they're going to crumble underneath this because our offense goes out there we run four plays tops, and then we give the ball back to Carolina, and our defense just would not surrender in that game. And they, you know, it's just that that was pretty much every game throughout 2017. Yeah. Was you're sitting there wondering what the hell is Fox and and Dole Loggins, who was our def- our offensive coordinator after Gase left for Miami? Uh, you know, it's like, well, let's it's Jordan Howard right, Jordan Howard left. <laughs> Try to throw the ball on third down, and then the next drive would be Tariq Cohen right, Tariq Cohen left, and then try to throw yeah. the ball on third. And punt is like over and over and over again. And defenses were playing short yardage defense against us, eight, nine guys in the box, because they knew we weren't going to throw the ball. And it's just three plays and out, and then the defense is on the field for 12 minutes and somehow only allowed a field goal, which allowed this horrendous offense of ours to still manage to be in the game somehow. Yeah. and. We were always hanging in tough and then crumbling in the fourth quarter because our defense would run out of gas or the offense would make a mistake that we couldn't afford. And, yeah, that's what – and we somehow, like I said, it was a miracle that we won five games uh, that year with some of the the way those games uh, turned out. And like I said a minute ago, that Packer game was was my cup runneth over. I'd had it at that point. (laughs) Can't do it anymore. Can't do it. I know. I mean, I feel exactly the same way. We had – We'd have the same thing where the offense would lose the ball. I mean, they'd be out there for – they wouldn't even be out there for a minute and a half. (laughs) The defense is like, 
okay, and they'd get a fumble recovery or they'd get a sack or they'd do, you know, or they'd just hold them. We, our defense would, would have, you know, some amazing red zone stands. And even when they'd hold them to just a field goal, that's a big win when you're, you know, you're starting on your 20 yard line because your quarterback throws an interception or something. <laughs> and then they'd, they'd be feeling good and they'd get off the field and give the offense good field position or whatever. And then, the offense would be done three plays later. It's like I'm kind of surprised our defense just didn't beat the ever-loving crap out of every player on the offense. Yeah, like, yeah it's <laughs> like we're done with you. That's we're probably trying. the only the only good coaching that that Vic. That, excuse me. That uh, well, I, I guess you can give Vic Fangio credit. He was the the defensive coordinator, but that's probably the only positive coaching that John Fox did. He somehow managed to keep the defense from beating the crap out of the offense for making them play <laughs> sixty to eighty plays every single week and doing nothing with the opportunities uh, the defense would give them. And you gave me some some ugly flashbacks a few moments ago when you mentioned Vance Johnson talking about how well practice was uh, during the week because that was Mark Tressman's line week in and week out uh, about how well they practiced, the best week of practice we've had all season. And then after the game when we lost by 40 points. Yeah. Uh, you know, we lost 55 to 14 on national television to the Packers, followed 51 to 12 or something like that against the Patriots the week after that. And then you would come in and be like, I don't know what happened. We had a great yeah. week of practice. It's like, you. Exactly. All right. It's like, you don't know what happened. And, you know, just no idea what went wrong. Like, well, I can. There are like 40 things, dude. Watch the tape. You'll see every single one of them. We all watched it. I can list a few if you want me to, uh, yeah. kind of thing. But that, I got. Ugly flashbacks when you talked about Vance Joseph and just kind of being dumbfounded after the game. Like, I don't know what happened. We practiced well all week. Like, did you, though? Did you? Yeah. Well, yeah, great. I mean, practice, having a good practice, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I used to, I, I'd get on people in our blog when they, you know, they'd pile on. We had a good practice. I'm like, you know, it's that's important. It's just for Vance Joseph to always be confused. He, you know, it's that's the exact thing. He had no idea that practice. There's certain things you do in practice, but it's it's much more about the the prep and the game plan. Mm -hmm. I mean, these guys know football, right? Then they doesn't mean they can't learn more. But the week of practice, you're not going full out. You're not playing an opponent. You're playing your own guys. So it's different. It's a lot more about really studying the team you're about to play, and coming up with the the scheme and the plan you're going to use and running through that it's less about how how well you played against the other guys <laughs> like, right you know i i felt like the preparation was so poor and, and and again like you know we were talking off air about bill belichick that's you see that guy he comes in with a weaker team half the time which seems odd but he does in terms he has a great quarterback but beyond that he often has lesser people on the defensive line the offensive line and game in and game out that guy beats you because he figured out how to make his weaker players not play um you know not have to be dominant and use his stronger players in a different way like he always figures out how to beat the other team based on what he has and enough coaches don't do that they just work with their team and they think practicing you know, oh, they threw good passes. Great, we're going to win this game. No, you're not. <laughs> do, you, do you have, you know, a pass rusher 
two you know edge rushers coming at you within two seconds not you know not really you don't really do that during your own practice right so it's totally different it's, so it's a lot more about your prep i think than it is about your practice right so before we get our blood pressure up let's uh <laughs> let's talk I'm about the Let's talk about the future. I mean, I, even though we'll probably need a dose of medication afterwards, talking <laughs> about Tressman and Fox and Vance Joseph and all of their various mistakes over the years. Um, we, we look forward to the, the free agent or the offseason period. And the, the most interesting move, aside from hiring Fangio himself, would be the Broncos making the trade to bring Joe Flacco to town when he had worn out his welcome in Baltimore, lost his job to the rookie Lamar Jackson. They're moving on with him. Flacco becomes expendable. The Broncos kind of jump on the opportunity to bring him uh, into the fold, and supposedly now John Elway thinks that your quarterback situation has solved for the first time since 2015 when Peyton Manning was doing it on one leg. <laughs> right. So, Yeah. I don't. I wouldn't say our quarterback situation is solved. Yeah, I do think it is improved. Okay. So I'm 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 okay with the move because I was completely dissatisfied with Case Keenum. I was not in favor of that when it happened to begin with. So it turned out how I expected. And so, you know, we're paying a little bit less to have Flacco, which I think is an improvement over Case Keenum. And we essentially got the best quarterback that was out there to be had you know mm -hmm. I mean there just there weren't many options so um we we came away improving our offense and I think that's about the best you can say everything so far you know coming out of mini camp and OTAs is you know how great of a leader Flacco is and how strong he looks and how he threw an 80 yard pass you know cross you know 80 yard pass downfield across his body and they say that kind of stuff every year. We always get the, you know, quarterback looks great. He's throwing dimes. A spiral is so tight. And again, just like the practice thing, it really doesn't matter until they play a game. So I'm, I, I, I have stopped getting excited about all the, all the hurrahs during minicamp. Oh, yeah. But I, but I do, but I do genuinely feel like we will be better with Flacco than we've been for the last three years. And I'm hoping and I'm crossing my fingers that, you know, he stays healthy and therefore can be the sufficient quarterback we need, you know, as kind of a bridge until, you know, possibly Drew Locke does come in to be a franchise QB. I'm holding out any kind of prediction on that one, though. So when I was trying to look up the free agent moves uh, bringing players in, Aside from the the Broncos pulling the switcheroo on the on the press, and that everyone thought Adrian Amos was destined for the Broncos, and instead it ended up being Bryce, Bryce Callahan. Uh, yeah. Instead, um, you know, I didn't really see too many moves. I see you guys brought in Juwan James, uh, the tackle yeah. from the Dolphins. You got another corner in Kareem Jackson from Houston, and then bringing in Callahan, the trade for Flacco. Was that it? I mean, as far as bringing in new guys, um, basically, yeah, basically. I mean, we, we, you know, like we added, we added a guy just yesterday. You know, who's going to be a, I don't know, third stringer on the O line. So, um, the that basically we were just fortifying the, the defense a little bit. You know, we thankfully signed Chris Harris Jr. 
um, to another year, only a year, which bit of a bummer, but at least, at least we've got that year. And so when you look, when you look at what we needed to do, we, we really didn't need too much mm-hmm. in terms of starters other than quarterback and, and secondary. And so bringing in Callahan and Jackson was, was key. And keeping Chris Harris <laughs> was key because it was really our secondary that just was so depleted last year. And, and really Chris Harris Jr. was about the only, only cornerback who could – stay with anybody and Justin Simmons and Will Parks who are both very talented the way they were used was wasn't especially Justin Simmons who's a a safety they just they had him playing all over the field and it just didn't really utilize his talent so he you know he he didn't perform as well as I think he was expected to or he would have liked but bringing Fangio in I mean, you can you can tell me, but we're we're very excited about how Fangio. I mean, he's clearly running the defense, <laughs> yeah. and how he uses these guys, um, not in anything very complicated, but with a lot of disguises. So that and um, they all seem to really have bought in in a big way to to his idea for the defense, and a lot of them feel like they're their skill set is going to be much more uh, much more utilized in Fangio's defense than it has been the last couple of years. Yeah, I'm 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 looking forward to seeing of course except for week 2 when we come to town <laughs> um, what the right. defense is going to be capable of and uh we'll, we'll talk a bit more about that when we when we circle around uh to 2019. But uh, like what I was alluding to before is that you've only added a few players but when I started looking at the the people that were gone, it kind of looked like some kind of a roster purge. Matt Paradise yeah. is gone. Uh, Billy Turner signed with Green Bay. Bradley Roby is out. Shane Ray, a f- the first-round pick in 2015, the last time we talked, he's gone. Brandon Marshall, a lifelong uh, Bronco, ends up signing with the Raiders, so now he can he be confused a, for somebody else there for a he while. He was actually a Jaguar first. Was he? So he went, uh, yes. Okay. My mistake. He was just a big – He was. he's just been – He's been very associated with the Broncos because he's been very well, There you popular. go. There you go. Uh, yeah. He came over with Jack. Jack Del Rio actually, you know, brought him over after Jack came over to be our defensive coordinator with Fox. He brought Brandon Marshall from the Jaguars. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I, and I can, of all those people we lost, the one I was upset about, m- most upset about was Matt Paradise. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was a mistake probably to let him go. I think, you know, we have struggled so much in our offensive line. And Matt was always the, the anchor. And every quarterback, including Manning, which I would say is the most important one, talked about how smart Matt Paradise was and how good he was at picking up the defense and, you know, cueing in his other linemen and helping the quarterback. And to me, that's, that's, that's hard to replace. So, and I don't think he was, I think essentially the Broncos off ended up offering him about as much as he got at Carolina, maybe a little bit less guaranteed. I don't remember the details, but I, I was a little ticked at Elway for not poning up a little bit better and, and, and keeping paradise. Cause he's, he's also, a, he was a leader. He was part of the Super Bowl team. Like 
he's the he's just the kind of guy you want to keep around for both his on the field talent as well as his off the field leadership. So that's that's the only one I think we're going to miss. Bradley Roby was hit and miss. He could be a really good defensive back, but he could also kind of zone out and totally miss his assignment. And I think he'll be good. Hopefully, where uh, did he go? The Texans, I yes. think. So I think um, you know, I I really hope he does well. Shane Ray was pretty much just, he was hurt a lot. He was always talking about how good he was going to be, and it just never came through. So I don't think we're going to miss him um, really at all. And I would have liked to have kept Shaq Barrett. That would have been good too mm. for our for our defense. But really. Um, of all those, of, and, Brand, so, and Brandon Marshall, I, I really like him as a player. I've always appreciated what he did, um, what he stood for with his protest and how he handled it in Denver and how he handled a lot of people regarding that. But as a linebacker, I, I felt like he just wasn't, you know, we need more. So um, I was kind of surprised we didn't go after we didn't get one in the draft early on. I was, I was one of the people looking forward to Devin Bush or, you know, as, as our, as our guy. But anyway, I think, I think if Fangio didn't feel like they, we needed to keep him, then I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he built the, the bear defense up from, from scratch and there were some iffy moves in there and, you know, it's like, why would we hang on to Cravon LeBlanc and, and Bryce Callahan? And those guys have had outstanding careers so far uh, yeah. in the NFL. And, and um, you know, Bryce Callahan might have an issue f- uh, about staying on the field from time to time. But uh, when he's out there, he's one of the best in the league. So, uh, you know, good luck with uh, good luck with him. I was sad to see him go, actually, because um, yeah. it, it was a tough, you know, weighing if we, you know, we, we thought we'd come away with at least one of them. We resign Amos. We resign Callahan, and and my stance was Callahan. I think is the better player, but, but Adrian, yeah, Adrian Amos is more reliable. He's the guy that's yeah. been healthy. He hasn't been banged up and miss a game here, miss a game there. And we lost yeah. Bryce Callahan for the last five games of the season with that uh, broken foot against the against the Rams. So it's like if if we're looking for impact and and overall better player, Callahan's the way to go. But can we trust him? And he's getting older, so. You know, he's yeah. not old, but he's getting older. And as yeah. you get older, you know, I know. These, your body will these betray you. guys in their 30s. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, let's talk about the draft and, and more so with you because you were there uh, yes. in, in Nashville amongst <laughs> the madness that was 600,000 people on one street in Nashville. Talk about that. It was awesome. So. The Broncos had decided because every team who chooses their sort of 20 people to be in the inner circle for the draft um, did something different. So how the Bears chose their fans, I don't know. But the Broncos basically just chose some of their longtime season ticket holders. And one of my friends, um, who, who I've really just known since I started blogging, but you know we've we've had lots of conversations on Twitter and over you know through the blog, and he was one of the chosen uh, season ticket holders, and he had an extra ticket, so he gave it to me, which was completely awesome. Right. And right. so it was just for the first day that he had he had tickets for the whole thing, but the inner circle was the first night for you know 
for round one. So, um, and so it was, it was, it's really cool. The Broncos section, thank goodness was under the, the kind of the, the little makeshift roof that they have for the T, you know, for the whole broadcast, but because it poured down rain, which I assume you could tell from TV. Oh, sure. So like, I'm sure they showed that shot going back the whole street. All those people were still there just had their umbrellas up or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so we were lucky because we were inside the whole time. And, uh, the thing is, though, when you're at the draft, it's kind of, it's a little bit like being at a game. You don't always you don't always learn things first. In fact, you tend to learn it last because if you're watching from TV, you have all these analysts and you know all these broadcasters who are getting cues from you know backstage or you know they they kind of know what's going on because they have to to be able to do the right broadcast. So we were the last people to know that the Broncos had traded down. <laughs> like, <coughs> excuse me, the the TV cameras come over and they're ready in your section because you're going to be up. So they tell you to cheer and we're standing there cheering. And the, and then we stop and the guy's like, keep going. I'm like, no, it looks like the Steelers. <coughs> excuse me. And sure enough, they were like we traded with the Steelers. And so, the cameramen are running over to the Steelers. Like, get the Steelers! Get the Steelers fans! Yeah. It was crazy. One of my favorite things, and I've mentioned this a few times since the draft, um, about the, you know, when they go shoving the cameras in the fans' faces at the draft, is that (laughs) um, my favorite moment is that, that awkward moment when you see the player's name announced and that it's clear to that fan they have no idea who that is. And yet Absolutely. once the player's name is announced, <clears throat> woo, yeah, all right, yeah. go. Like, I have no idea. Are, am I happy about this? We we picked a guy. Woohoo! You know, it just know. it is clear. Totally... <clears throat> yeah, it is clear that person has no idea who that guy is. But he's ours, so yay him, I guess. And yeah. I always laugh when I see it. It makes me laugh every single time. Well, especially this year. Because I couldn't, I wasn't seeing the broadcast, but you could hear it, right? Yeah. So when the Giants picked um, Daniel Jones, you could tell they were like, ah, "What?" Yeah, it was it was hellfire and brimstone. It, it was. And then it the was Raiders, when the Raiders made their first pick, yeah. Actually, they were they were before that. You, no one knew who the pick was. I mean, the guy wasn't even there because he didn't expect to get picked in the first round. So. The Raiders fans, it was dead quiet for a second. <laughs> and then they started cheering. But the cheering was like, okay. Yay, yeah. we, we, we picked <laughs> the dude. And they're, all looking, they're on their phones. Who? Who is this guy? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, waiting for the cameras, the, the red light to go off so I can check my phone and find out who the hell this yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. I, I, it, it made me laugh every time I saw it. So. And then when the Broncos, because we traded down, and, you know, Devin Bush was available. Yeah. At 10. And then I think he actually got picked at 11 or like. No, he went 10 to the Steelers. That's okay, who the Steelers right, moved right, up right. for. They traded with us. Right. So um, so I was I was kind of mad. Like, oh, I was I was just sure that that's what the Broncos were going to do since he was there. And then we traded down. And I was thinking to myself when the cameras came over when we because were we 20, whatever we traded to. Yeah, 20. Yeah. 
the, the cameras come over and I'm thinking to myself, I hope I know who the player is. Because <laughs> I've been, we've been talking a lot about who we'd pick at 10 and there's only so many players you worry about because right. you know who's going to be there. But at 20, I was like, shoot, I don't know. So when they said Noah Fant, I really, I really like Noah Fant. But I was also excited that I could legitimately scream for a player I knew who he was. <laughs> so. Yeah, this is a, a common problem for, for Bear fans for years, especially <laughs> when it came to our first-round picks. The Bears would always pull a fast one on the fan base, and you know <laughs> th- there would always be that guy. No matter where we were picking in the first round, whether it was high, in the middle, in the late end uh, yeah. of, the, of the draft, it was like, and the Chicago Bears select – Shay McClellan from Boise State. I'm like, who the hell is Shay McClellan? Yeah. What the- and where's Boise State again? Yeah, it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> every single year, every year it, it, it would happen. And this guy is the, the gem of our draft class. He's our first-round pick, and I've never heard of him before. Yeah, you know, right. And it would make me crazy every time the Bears would do it. So, Well, so every- how did you feel when the Bears traded up one spot to get Trubisky? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> well, here's the thing. My issue was never with the player. It was yeah. with the position. Because as we ranted on earlier about uh, in 2017, we didn't have an offense. Right. We didn't, we didn't make any moves in the offseason to improve our wide receiving core uh, or anything like that. Alshon Jeffrey left for Philadelphia, so we had nothing in our yeah. receiving core. We had no tight ends to speak of or anything like that. We had Jordan Howard. Um, and that was it because we hadn't drafted Tariq Cohen yet. We drafted him in 2017. So it's like we, we, we are the kind of team that needs to build the team and then plug the quarterback in, not the other way around. I, I, wasn't, I, I wasn't trusting the process, if you right. will, at that right. point. So I was more upset that we drafted a quarterback. That was the last thing I wanted the Bears to do, and then they went and drafted. Not only did we get it and then we get a quarterback, we traded up for yeah. one, and it's just like we – we took our limited draft capital to move up one spot, and you know we drafted the the last position. I would have been happier with a kicker at two yeah. than a <laughs> than a quarterback with the offense that we had. It's like yeah. this didn't happen, and it did. And in 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 hindsight, I was right and I was wrong. Trubisky and drafting him was absolutely the right move, but I was right in the fact that we didn't have an offense and the team suffered greatly for it uh, right. in twenty seventeen. Right. So. I won and I lost that bet all at the same time. So, <laughs> but I'll take it. I'll take it. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so, but speaking of your draft, you get Noah Fant in the first round. He's a tight end, and f- apparently Flacco has a love affair with all the tight ends that he's played with yeah. over the years. And then after that, John Elway didn't see a trade he didn't like. You only drafted six players and you traded for three of them. Uh, yeah. Dalton Reiser in the in the second round at forty one. And then you make a trade to come right back at 42 because Drew Locke, for some reason, is still sitting there. So Elway doesn't, you know, he's like, okay, go ahead and make the move. You pick 41st and 42nd. Drew Locke finally comes off the board, and now he's going to be at Denver, which I believe is where he wanted to go all along. And like you said earlier, he might be the future uh, of the uh, franchise. That, you know, he might be, you know, Joe Flacco might be his placeholder. Uh, and whatnot, but it's intriguing what could happen with Drew Locke if he lives up to his uh, draft stock. Right, right. And it's we all felt like the 
the chess play Elway did there was was brilliant because we got the quarterback that a lot of people had been mocking to us and you know a lot of you know a lot of people on our staff and a lot of fans thought you know that Broncos might pick Drew Locke in the first round and it was very 50-50 how people felt about that you know how fans felt about that sure. and i like you was i was in the i mean like you a couple of years ago was like don't draft the quarterback in the first round like <laughs> and not not probably for the exact same reasons but you know same idea like this is we have a lot of other things we need to get and i'm not sold on this guy so you pick him in the first round and you're basically saying to him you're our franchise you're our starter and and even even knowing that we had flacco and that he wouldn't be the starter right away you pick him in the first round you still you still make that a little iffy and so i the fact that we got him as the you know as our third pick second one in the third round there was like the best of all those worlds we got a quarterback we got a young guy but he knows that that really he's coming in to be to be trained to be the, the the head guy. Yeah. And he's not coming in to compete for that this year. And so that we're not going to have a quarterback controversy. We're not going to have a competition. But we are going to have a guy who knows he's the future. So, you know, he's also going to take it seriously about learning from Joe Flacco and, and, le- and learning from, you know, everybody. So and we didn't spend as much money on him. And we got two really key pieces before him, we got a, a tight end and we got an offensive lineman, which we definitely needed. So um, in so many ways, John Elway really nailed this draft, which is his second in a row and uh, possibly only his second one, actually. <laughs> overall. <laughs> so but it, it feels good to feel to think, you know, he's kind of figuring this out. So, you know, it bodes well for the for future drafts that he's not going to make the Paxton Lynch mistake again. Mm. Yeah, that was uh that was an unfortunate move. Uh, across and the I, board. And I didn't even it kind of made sense at the time. I mean, sure. everyone was grasping. You know, the Cowboys were mad that we got him. And you know, look how that turned out. They got Dak Prescott and we got Paxton Lynch and we totally lost that. Yeah. <laughs> but you just you never know. I mean, it's really tough with these college quarterbacks to predict how well they they will do. And I honestly feel like you you, you get lucky half the time, but it, it's it, it's so much work behind the scenes that fans don't see. You can't just watch a couple of tape cut ups on Twitter. And even if you're a real film guru and you go back and look at a lot of film you're really only looking at film at some games, you know? So these coaches and GMs who go see the guys play in the senior bowl and the, the East West bowl or the North South game or whatever. And then they, they talk with them and they meet with coaches and they do their due diligence. I think that's when they really find out if a player is going to fit well and have the potential that they need them to have. And so I think as fans, like it's really hard to, even even harder for us, but also hard for for the coaches and the scouts and the GMs to know for sure what college quarterback is going to actually adapt well to the pro style of football. Yeah, it's it's a gamble. Uh, it's a gamble Total. either way. Because some, I mean, how many people have been drafted high 
this guy is a is a can't miss prospect. There's no way he doesn't succeed. And yeah. you know, I mean, let's I mean, you want to talk quarterbacks? Let's talk Robert Griffin. You know, the the Redskins tr- give up a king's ransom of draft picks to be able to move up to take him, not the guy that Mike Shanahan wanted. So in the fourth round, he takes uh, Cousins in the fourth round. That's the guy he actually liked. And that's the guy he ended up actually having a career in being a good quarterback, a fourth-round pick over the can't-miss Heisman Trophy number 2 overall pick. And that ends up being the better move, taking that guy in the fourth round instead of giving up our future to take this guy. So that's the gamble that is the NFL draft. The Bears give up two first-round picks for Khalil Mack. In the past, that's a move that's burned us. But it had immediate pay, you know, dividends with the way that he played for us last year and we'll continue to see if if Ryan Pace can can maneuver his way to, to keep the Bears afloat until we have a first round pick again. So it, yeah. it is all a gamble. The trades, the moving up, moving down, the guys that you pick, the homework that you put in to somebody, that gut feeling that you just have to follow because I got a feeling about this guy and then that yeah. feeling is that guy can't he misses his mom and he can't do anything if she's not around <laughs> kind of thing. I mean it's right. always something. So it, it is a it, it's not a science. For sure. As much as they, they treat it that way and they, they talk about it and they have their methods that, to their madness and all that kind of stuff, it is it is anything but. Right. And especially with the quarterback position, more than any other position, the intangibles are so important. You know, like, is he going to study? Is he going to be a good leader? Is he going to is he going to be able to be the guy, but but have it be for real? You know, like and. Because we we had that with Case Keenum, like. Did you, ever hear the, did you ever hear the story about Jamarcus Russell? Which one? Well, the the my favorite one was that uh, they knew he wasn't watching tape. They knew he wasn't watching film on the opponents and everything. So one day, they sent him home with a box full of blank tapes. <laughs> and then he comes back into the facility the next day, and they asked him if he watched the tapes, and he said, "Yeah, of course I did." Yeah. And nice. you know, what did you think? And he was like, oh, I, th- you know, I, I, he started talking about film that didn't exist. Yeah. He had, he had a handful of blank tapes right. that he and says showed, he watched and he it didn't. It showed in his career for sure. Oh, absolutely. It absolutely did. So, you know, but that, that was my favorite story about Jamarcus Russell. And he was the guy in 2007. He was the number one pick. Everyone had to take him. The Raiders would have been nuts not to take him, so on and so forth. He was one of the, the biggest busts in the history of the draft. Yeah. Yeah. So when, I mean, when everything, you, you know, his arm, his size, he could move, you know, everything. And then, like you said, it was the intangibles that did him in. This is a guy that didn't like to study. He didn't like to prepare. He was lazy and, and everything else, you know, but he could put it together in college when when uh, when when the nights when the lights were on on Saturdays. But, uh, you know, when it's your job and that's all you have to do and you don't want to do any of it, that's going to end up killing you big time. You know, yeah. And like a couple of. A couple of weeks ago, when uh, when uh, Bart Starr passed away, and everyone was, you know, we we did a couple story or a story related to you know the Broncos, and I came across the quote from Bart Starr that um, has been used famously, but you know about like you'll you'll play a lot of guys with more talent, but if you outwork them, you can often beat them, mm-hmm. and I thought I did not realize that Bart Starr was actually not anything super coming out of college he was he was drafted 200th the 200th player in the 17th round and 
it was just because Vince Lombardi actually, you know, saw something in him, thought his decision-making and his football IQ and, you know, some of his, his athletic skill, you know, had a ton of potential. And <laughs> he was right. So, like, if you had said to anybody before Bart Starr became Bart Starr, you know, like, this, this guy's not going to do anything. Look at he was He was mediocre at Alabama. He's, you know, he's okay, but you had a coach who, who, who was able to look past that and see the things that were going to actually be important, and he took a gamble, and it worked out quite well. But yeah, all he was was a Hall of Famer. Talent, yeah. It was much more on, on working for it, and I think Peyton Manning was kind of like that. Oh, yeah, but he, know, had he, the, he had the can't-miss talent to go along with it, though. He did. I mean, he has the pedigree, but he – he would tell you time and again, he's not super athletic. You know, mm-hmm. he's like like so many players and so many quarterbacks. He's just, he will outthink everybody else because he will study harder than anybody. Yeah, he could he could throw, uh, you know, he could throw a needle through the, through the eye of a needle from 50 yards. The guy had an amazing, accurate arm. I'd never seen anyone yeah. make the throws that, that Peyton did. But no one would accuse him of being an athlete if you've ever seen Peyton Manning run. <laughs> Uh, you know, he had the heaviest feet on a quarterback I think I've ever seen, but he had twinkle toes when he was in the pocket. He can move around and find the receivers and give those yeah. guys time. Yeah. He had his gifts, but, uh, yeah, at, being athletic probably isn't something you could accuse yeah. Peyton Manning of being if you ever saw him run. But, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> – you're right. Um, but, yeah, but I mean, what, what, what did Bart Starr ever do? He was only – uh, you know, a first ballot Hall of Famer and the MVP of the first two Super Bowls, but you know, whatever, yeah, dude. Right. So, <laughs> but looking ahead to to twenty nineteen, let's look at some of the the storylines of of what you have to look forward to. I mean, you have, I mean, like I, I was uh, talking about earlier, I shudder to think what your defense is going to be capable of because not only do you have Von Miller on one side, you got Bradley Chubb on the other. You're adding a Bryce Callahan into the mix and. Vic Fangio is is pulling the strings now, and he has definitely has more talent to work with in Denver than he started with in Chicago. So he's not playing behind the eight ball like he did when he first came to Chicago and slowly but surely building. He's in a pretty good position to, to have some pretty good success right from the jump. Yeah, yeah. And you know what I love about him that you can elaborate on? The thing that I've noticed is I absolutely – love his press conferences because he is like so nonchalant and and like gives no props to anybody it's like yeah he's pretty good he's learning he's okay he did he did pretty well today like with von miller he basically has downplayed any of von miller's greatness you know it's like he's improving he he has some work to do like i love this guy and i love von miller but i I like it when you have a coach who is not starstruck and he's like, listen, everybody can learn. Everybody can improve. You're not doing everything you need to. And he, I've actually noticed he's, he's given more props to, you know, to other guys he's coached on previous teams, you know, in sometimes in passing rather than, you know, talking about how great Von Miller is or whatever. So <laughs> I, I absolutely love it because I think, it's the kind of thing that will keep this defense from getting soft, quite frankly. Yeah, it's uh, it's something that you'll notice. We we heard a lot about the 49ers when he came to 
uh, Chicago and, you know, guys like Navarro Bowman and, and Justin Smith and, and Patrick Willis and uh, and everything like that. So I'm sure you'll get a healthy dose of uh, Khalil Mack or Akeem Hicks or Roquan Smith and, and talking about their accomplishments. And somehow he's talking about the Broncos while he's doing that. So uh, the yeah. thing that the, the media loved about Fangio was that he had zero Fs to give during press conference like he does not care <laughs> he will just answer the question straight up and you will what did he just say that whoa like he's, it, i was like this guy's telling the truth somebody's got to tell him not to do that oh yeah oh i i know for, like you you're exactly right i mean he he was praising rokan smith for you know his talent and he was talking about how you know he's probably one of the most talented uh you know linebackers he's worked with i think and I just, I love it. I love that he is who he is and he says exactly what he wants. And you don't feel, there's no, there are no cliches. There's no coach speak. It's like, and he even gives the reporters a hard time sometimes when they ask a dumb question. I'm like, oh, thank goodness. Someone's got to tell him that that was a stupid question. You know what? Vic's been around too long. He has been around too long. He's seen too much. This was a guy who was on the coaching staff. When, when Ray Lewis and company won that Super Bowl back in 2000, and uh, actually he wasn't on that staff. He was, he was in San Francisco by then. But this is a guy that's coached Ray Lewis. This is a guy that, yeah. uh, you know, he just came from, from coaching, uh, you know, Khalil Mack and all those great years in San Francisco and how dominant that defense was. He's seen talent everywhere. He's probably not impressed by what, right. you know, talent or anything like that. He's impressed by whether we win – or we lose. And, and, I, and I pray that this works out for him because he has been I, an assistant yeah. for 30 years. He has been waiting for this shot for uh, a long time. And, you know, he, he, he did what he had to do. He got the opportunity uh, with Denver. We in Chicago, very sad uh, to see him go. Uh, you know, I would, I would have loved to see him be able to finish what he started uh, with the Bears and, and hopefully culminating in, in you know, uh, a Lombardi, but I, I guarantee if the Bears end up winning a Super Bowl, he'll get a ring. I I, I can't see how he wouldn't. You know what I really? mean? Really? I uh, I do because yeah. we had nothing when he came in in 2015, and and he's even talked about that. The crazy bastard went in. Like, we had nothing. We had less than pla- practice squad guys when I came <laughs> in 2015. We had zero. That you know, and look at what we were able to do in all that time. And uh, I think he was praising Ryan Pace. Uh, while he was doing it but that's that's the kind of stuff he was saying is like we had nothing we had zero and we had yeah. less than nothing when i yeah. came to chicago and this is what i had to work with and uh so on and so forth that's the guy that you're getting he's no nonsense and totally. it's like the, the, he, being 60 years old works for him because he's too old to care he's just gonna go right. out there just do his job say what he says you're either gonna print it or you're not i got a job to do you do yours i know and the great thing, every player who has been interviewed in the last couple of weeks, essentially they they say the same kind of thing. So it just proves that th- this isn't just an act or it's not just one player's perception. This is the way it is. And several of them have pointed out that they do not want to screw up because they watch film as a full team. And Fangio will call them out as you know making a dumb play in front of everybody. And they're like, you know... I, I don't want to do that. I don't. I don't want to be the guy that messed. You know that was that made the mistake that everyone's going to laugh at for being so stupid because I didn't. I didn't study my assignment. I didn't execute my assignment, etc. And even Peyton Manning, who played under Fangio, I mean, kind of played under him, 
20 years ago when mm-hmm. Fangio was the defensive coordinator in when Manning was a second, third, and fourth year player at the Colts. He said, you know, Fangio is out to win every practice. He he wants his defense beating the offense every practice, regardless of what practice it is. So, you know, he's he is serious about this, and I love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a no nonsense guy, and I hope it translates well to him being a head coach as a, as opposed to him running being defenses for the last twenty yeah. years and uh, so on. Because that was something that that you know uh, I didn't get a chance to. We were talking about Vance Joseph and where things went wrong for him, how he's good at you know getting a defense ready or, or that kind of thing. There's just something that that people take for granted as far as some. There's a huge difference between being a defensive coordinator and being a head coach and having to run everything. And we've seen time and time again the people that are best suited to be the the, the top lieutenant as opposed to the general, like, right. a, like a Wade Phillips or right. or maybe a Vance Joseph. He's in Arizona now. Maybe that he'll be able to, to work his defensive magic in Arizona. Another one that I thought was a kind of a, a Wade Phillips in training was Todd Bowles. I didn't yeah. see him being a head coach. Now, he had mild success in New York. He had uh, not much help in the roster uh, during the time that he was there. But, you know, I always kind of felt he's going to be a savage as a defensive coordinator for, for Tampa Bay, which is why I wanted him so bad after uh, Fangio left. Unfortunately, um, Todd Bowles committed to Tampa Bay before Fangio took the Denver job, or else, <laughs> or else, why yeah. wouldn't he have taken the Chicago job? Why wouldn't he want that? So, right. um, well, but it's interesting that you point that out because so earlier my comments about Vance Joseph. I mean, he also was only a defensive coordinator for a year, oh. and he had been a uh, defensive backs coach for however many years. So he had. He even had limited experience of kind of really being in charge of a full unit, which is, again, not the same thing as the team. But still, that has, you know, you have to keep up with all your different position coaches and their units and making sure that they're, you know, that everybody's on the same page, that you're, you know, you're game planning for the full defense, not just getting your defensive backs ready to, you know, meet their assignments. So, like, he he just didn't have long enough in a position where you could learn that. And with Vic Fangio, I mean, the other thing is when you're a coordinator, offense or defense, if you're a coordinator for five years, 10 years, 30 years, you get used to, like you actually start to also really understand how your part works into the full game plan. And when you're new at that position, I think you're probably really focused on just you're just getting, you know, you're just focusing on your defense or on your offense. And you're, you're probably overwhelmed enough with just keeping track of all the different position units within that. But the more you get comfortable with that, and especially the more you work with the same head coach, you really understand the full game plan. And you could probably run over and be the offensive coordinator if you had to, because of all that time being together and and understanding how they all fit together. And I have to believe that after 30 years of being a coordinator, he's got a very good idea of how that fits into the full game plan. So he doesn't have head coaching experience, but he, he has been around and working into that head coaching, you know, arena for so long because he's been so experienced at the coordinator position. And, 
and very successful at the coordinator position. So, you know, he's going to be very trustworthy for any head coach to be like, yeah, let, you know, let you help me or you, you, you're part of this too. It's not just me standing up here, you know, on being on the sideline, call, calling all the plays. Well, I mean, that was the one of the other parallels. You and you, we talked before we were recording about how crazy the parallels between the Bears and the LA Rams were. Um, you know how we basically were a year behind. We did everything that they did, and one of those other things that we that that I forgot to mention was we hire the young uh, offensive guru type coach to 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 mentor our second year quarterback, and then uh, hire or in our case keep the uh veteran defensive coordinator you run the defense yeah yeah you (laughs) run the defense i'll run the offense there's like a 20 year age difference between the two uh and and whatnot and and we'll we'll take it from there uh kind of thing so i mean it's um that that's and in fangio in his last two years in chicago was the last year of john fox and the first year uh, of matt Nagy. talk about a night and day situation from an older veteran coach who's been around the block, been to Super Bowls and, and all that kind of stuff, to a guy that was literally wet behind the ears about being a head coach and learning how to run a team, and, and, and then also seeing him take to it like a fish to water. Yeah. As far as you know, Matt Nagy and getting those players to respond to him and buy into what he was trying to do uh, last year and everything. It was a huge contrast from one year to the next, not only in results but just in how, the culture itself. When right. he came to Chicago, it was one of the last places in the NFL you wanted to go. As he leaves Chicago, it's become a destination. So he's seen it on both ends, and he's going to bring that to uh, bring that to Denver. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very exciting because it's it's all very promising. Partly because it's the exact opposite of what we've had for the last two years. Right. But even if it weren't the exact opposite, it's. It's it really definitely fits with our culture, you know, having him come in and just be like, this is the way it is. You're all going to work hard. And more than one of these guys has talked about how it doesn't matter if you are a first round draft pick or you are a superstar. He he's kind of looking up and down the roster like you got to perform for me now if you want to <laughs> you want to be on this roster. Yeah. So it you know. Von Miller, whatever, <laughs> you're not doing your job, you're sitting on the bench. And I think that that culture change, well, it, it isn't really a, a change. It's like getting back to kind of what the Broncos have always had as their, as their culture, which is a very, you know, kind of work hard, you know, fight tooth and nail. You're the underdog most of the time, scratch and claw for what you're going to get. You know, we're not a Hollywood team. We're not, you know, we're not we're not full of a bunch of superstars. We don't get a ton of national media attention. Generally, we did for a while with Manning. But um, having having Vic Fangio's personality come in, I think, fits with what we kind of see ourselves as a franchise. And so it, it seems like it's it's really, really melding well. He's he's getting, a you know, a lot of praise from the players even you know because because he's tough so i i think it's gonna i think it's gonna be a really good year even if we're not playoff bound it cannot be worse than it was (laughs) it can't be that's that's absolutely how i felt a year ago when matt Nagy (laughs) came into town it was like it could it can't get any worse than it was i mean it just 
It can't. It can't. <laughs> like, I know we managed to win some games last year. Even if we win less games with this new coach, it can't be as bad on the field as it was right. in right. 2017. It just can't. There's no way. It's like I can see us losing some games or, you know, you know what have you uh, or, or whatever because of inexperience by the head coach. But I think we're definitely going to play better. We just have to. It can't get any worse uh, than it was. So speaking of can't get any worse than it was, real quick before I let you go with your offense, you have <laughs> Joe Flacco. Is, awesome segue, by yes, the way. Yes, I, I, am, I am a master. What can I say? <laughs> but, you know, Philip Lindsay, how, is he going to be ready for the regular season? Because I know he got hurt late in the year. Yeah, I, I mean, he's, he's not doing any, any real practicing yet. I think they, they do anticipate him being ready by training camp, um, but possibly not, you know, full go, but definitely week one. Um, so at this point, nobody really knows him and Emmanuel Sanders are keys to our offense. And so, you know, I think we're, everyone's just crossing their fingers that by the time regular season starts, they are they're ready to go. And I imagine, especially even for Emmanuel Sanders with the Achilles, it'll be a couple of games before he's full speed. But we're, we're looking at both of them being back. Right. And so strong. <laughs> any, any other any other storylines for for the team in general that that we should keep an eye on going into 2019? Well, I I think um I think it'll be interesting with two the two storylines and we kind of touched on the one of them already which is you know, we we don't have many different defensive players. We did add Kareem Jackson and Bryce Callahan, but basically you know, our defensive line is the same. We've got the two edge rushers. Um, we, you know, we have most of our secondary, but we hopefully got two guys who are going to, you know, be starters. And that's, we're not going to have the rotation that we had, you know, of like six. We were on like our seventh cornerback by the, the end of the season last year. It was ridiculous. Mm. So, um, but the watching the way the, the, the same guys essentially play a, you know, that more disguised quintessential Vic Fangio off um, defense, I think will be really interesting because we've had players complaining about that for three years, you know, that everything they were doing was too telegraphed. All the offenses knew they were scheming. They knew what they were going to do because they knew how they were going to cover. And there was, and they, you know, there was nothing, there were no surprises and no, no disguises to put, put the offense kind of off kilter. So our defense being able to really, be more of a game wrecker to any offense, I think is going to be a good storyline. And, um, and well, I, we're hoping so anyway, <laughs> I think the next, the other storyline will be because we have not had a truly great tight end, nor have we had a quarterback or a scheme that really utilized the tight end. And now we have both. And so I think our offense as much as we have relied on Emmanuel Sanders and even last year relied on Philip Lindsay, I'm sure both, like I said, both of those two will still be key players because they're, because they're both really good at their position and obviously a key, key positions for a good offense. But given that we have Joe Flacco and that we, we have the number, you know, a first round pick is a, is a tight end. Um, I, th I think we will see a lot more of a of a tight end 
heavy offensive scheme than we than we've had in years. And that will be exciting and totally different <laughs> for Broncos fans. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's just it's just like last year when we, we brought in Allen Robinson, we brought in Taylor Gabriel, we brought in uh, Trey Burton to go along with, you know, Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen. I was like, now we have options. We have, we're not going to have nine guys in the box because you have to worry about Allen Robinson and Taylor Gabriel. And, you know, we, we, we can open this thing up some, we're not going to, they're not going to be able to see us coming from a mile away. It's just not going to be possible. Number one, because Nagy's scheme alone will not allow us to be predictable. And number two, we actually have talent you have to respect uh, when you put them out on the, uh, on the field. And, now it's going to be, you know, this is a tight end. We know Flacco likes to throw it to the tight end. And, and while we're focusing on the tight end, we forgot about Emmanuel Sanders or Philip Lindsay coming out of the backfield and, and things like that. So it definitely opens things up. And just the possibilities are alone uh, are, are enough to make you excited about what's to come. Yeah. It's, I mean, the, the fact that we even have, like, you know, like we just said, like a, a quarterback who likes the tight end and and a good tight end, plus a new offensive coordinator who, in theory, you know, working under Kyle Shanahan, you know, really understands the scheme to to utilize a tight end, is going to take so much pressure off Emmanuel Sanders and and even Cortland Sutton and Deshaun Hamilton, who who were rookies last year and did well, but it's hard to put all that on a rookie to you know, basically. Be have to get every pass. We just we had no options. We had no surprises. It was like it's going to it's going to these two guys. Right. <laughs> yeah. And maybe um, I'm going to hand it off. But guess what? <laughs> you know, like it was it was just so embarrassing. Honestly, <laughs> like my my son who was eight and played flag football, you know, could do a far better bootleg than. Case Keenum could like, <laughs> seriously put him out there. I think I think he's got a shot. Yeah, it can't get any worse. That was like it the running can't. theme. It can't get any worse. Let's just. And I uh, guarantee my eight-year-old is not overthrowing Demarius Thomas on the two-yard line, you know, to win the game over the Chiefs. Guarantee it. Guarantee it. He's because he's only three foot six. There's no way he can throw it eight <laughs> exactly. feet over Demarius. You know, his, him throwing it three feet too high puts it right in. Demarius Thomas's catch radius. It's perfect. So we can't yeah. get any worse. Exactly. So there we go. So Lori, thanks so much uh, for your time. Thank I you. know it's, it's getting late over there uh, for you. So I appreciate you, you sticking it out. And um, you know, we, we look forward to, for, to having you back. It'll be a short break between now and, and week number two, which is when yeah. our teams uh, will be battling uh, each other. Uh, looks like we're going to be the, one of those uh, America's game of the week games on Fox with the three o'clock start. Uh, and everything so um, nice. you know a nice matchup between the, the Bears and their former defensive coordinator and see if he uh, uses the force against us uh, I know. on that one I'm really so. looking forward to that game there are a couple games on our schedule that I think are really aside from the usual AFC West rivalries the Bears and the Packers games I think are going to be really fun and, and aren't, the they, Browns, aren't they back to back the Bears and the Packers uh I don't think so Packers are like uh, oh wait yes yes they are they are back to back. Yeah, it's home for the Bears and then on the road for uh, yeah, Packers. On the road for Green Bay. Yep. Yeah, week two, week three. Yeah, how yep, about that? So you get those out of the way after after Monday night with the Raiders to start off the season, then home yeah. for the Bears on the road to uh, on the road for Green Bay. So yeah, you That's get those right. 
It'll, it'll be an interesting September. It'll be an exciting three three weeks in a row. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but Lori, thanks so much for coming back. Where can uh, where can we see you uh, online if we want to keep up with you? All right, I'm on Twitter at Doc LLV, so D O C L L V, and you can also read my work at MileHighReport.com on SB Nation. All right, Lori Lattimore Volkman, thanks so much uh, for being on the show. We'll uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. Thanks, Larry. It was great. Enjoyed it. Remember, guys, promo code ACAA for $20 off your first purchase at SeatGeek and Bears 100 for a 50% deposit bonus at mybookie.ag. So if you want to get in on those deals, those are the promo codes you want to use to be able to take advantage of them. So that is going to do it, guys. Uh, Like I said, love talking to Lori. Look forward to having her uh, on week two. See how the preseason and, and, and training camp went for the uh, Broncos. How did it go week one against those Raiders uh, when, they, uh, when, when, when we go to Mile High Country for week number two? That's when we'll have uh, Lori back to, uh, to preview our, our, our impending uh, matchup. Coming up next, part number three of the uh, AFC West preview. We'll be joined by Travis Wakeman from Bolt Beat on fansided.com. He'll be uh, joining us to help preview the L.A. Chargers, who are the second-place finisher, also a 12-4 and record, uh, but uh, you know had a perfect 9-0 and record on the road uh, last year, 8-0 on the road, won, the, won their first playoff game against uh, Baltimore, who won their division uh, last season, and then ran into the buzzsaw that was the New England Patriots, who were undefeated at, uh, at Gillette Stadium uh, last year. So something had to give. Either had a perfect home team or the perfect road team, and it ended up being the perfect home team that walked away uh, with the win. And, and it's like the Chargers never had a chance. They were down thirty-five to seven at halftime, or something like that. So we'll talk to Travis and find out what happened. Um, that uh, you know, was it just the brilliance of Brady and Belichick uh, just doing it again and getting themselves to another Super Bowl, or did uh, or did the, uh, the the Chargers finally run out of road luck? Uh, in, in 2018 so uh, we'll have Travis on on uh, Tuesday is when that episode uh, is going to drop uh, to talk about the Chargers and then a few days after that we'll wrap up the AFC West um, with Greg Florkowski of Arrowhead Addict also from fansided.com uh, he will be helping us wrap up the AFC West while talking about the Kansas City Chiefs then we'll move on to the NFC East and talk about the Cowboys, the Giants, the Redskins, and Eagles before moving on to the NFC North. We wrap things up with our beloved Chicago Bears uh, at the very, very end. So before you know it, it'll be there. I mean, we're almost in we're, – we're already eight, nine days into June already. It's, it's going to be gone before you know it. Then we'll be in July, and then at the end of the July is training camp, and then we got the preseason, and then – good days ahead in the regular season so it'll be here before you know it thank you for joining me uh, on this journey so come back on tuesday when we'll have part number three featuring the la chargers so until then my name is larry d and this has been bears talk underground